Welcome to Wormhole Waffles, a Stargate podcast. Welcome to Wormhole Waffles. I'm Chelsea, and with me is my co-host, Arzu. Hello. Last week, we talked about Emancipation and the Broken Divide, uh, the first on-screen missions for SG-1. And it was a bit of a wild ride, but uh, it's only going to get better from here. So today we're going to be talking about episodes five and six, The First Commandment and Cold Lazarus. The First Commandment premiered on August 22nd, 1997, was written by Robert C. Cooper and directed by Dennis Barry. Cold Lazarus premiered on August 29th, 1997, written by Jeff King and directed by Ken Girardi. So I like that um, The First Commandment jumps right into what can go wrong with sending unqualified people to other planets. Um, and then Gold Lazarus gives us some backstory for Colonel O'Neill so we can relate to him better. Arzu, will you please give us a quick summary on what happened in these two episodes? Yes. So in the first commandment, uh, the team travels to a new world where they discover another SG team. I think they said SG. Yes. SG9. Nine. I made that up. So <laughs> SG9 has been there for about five weeks and mm-hmm. a lot can go wrong in five weeks. Because the leader of SG-9 is not only being viewed as a god by the locals, Mm -hmm. but has also decided there's truth to that statement Mm -hmm. and feels like he is a god to the locals. So they look to him to be the one to turn on the, to make the sky orange, which we're going to get into as a way to like protect them from the harsh, um, the harshness of the sunlight and SG-1's mission is to maybe make him knock it off just a little bit because yeah. playing God is not a good idea. And, oh, and plot twist, he is also Sam's ex-fiance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Cold Lazarus is interesting because they don't actually go anywhere for very long. They're elsewhere for the cold open. And then they come back to Earth with, uh, so it's Daniel, Sam, Teal'c, and a doppelganger mm-hmm. of O'Neill who has materialized out of some blue crystals and who decides to revisit O'Neill's past, which like we're going to put trigger warnings down below, but which deal with his son's accidental suicide by using his, um, his personal weapon at home, O'Neill's personal weapon. So this being who has taken on O'Neill's shape goes to visit his ex-wife and is, is trying to basically heal the hurt that O'Neill still carries with him. Mm-hmm in some way so that's cold lazarus yeah um so let's do our quote reveal real quick uh so last week i gave you the quote we're off to see the wizard and your guess was that o'neill was speaking to teal'c and they have a witty exchange about what a wizard is (laughs) um you were close uh it was o'neill who said it he loves making wizard of oz references Unfortunately, it wasn't it wasn't as funny in the real thing as you imagined it to be. Your imagining was much funnier. <laughs> I am much funnier than O'Neill is. It's true. <laughs> so they're just talking about going off to find Hansen, who is pretending to be a god, essentially. No, no, he is a god. Oh, he right, right. Is. Yeah. He is. He is a god. The Wizard of Odd bits will continue. I can think of at least two more upcoming references. Um so I'm going to start a tally of all these references. <laughs> got a lot of tallies going. Yeah, I started a tally um, for the death count. And because we're going to eventually have some characters die. Uh, 
I also started a tally on how many times Arzu guesses the quotes correctly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I started a tally on how many times Daniel Jackson forgets he has a wife. Yeah. Your tally is going to um, be really we'll lose track high. really quickly if we don't write it down. <laughs> this, man, this man is married in name only. Certainly not in his heart. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we will get mm-hmm. there. <laughs> okay, so starting with the first commandment, I thought it was crazy because it like starts off with murder right off the bat. It's like, oh, okay, people are dying really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, my DVD accidentally started the Broken Divide again, mm-hmm. and I thought I was watching the first commandment. And was getting very frustrated that all these Stargate episodes kind of sound the same. (laughs) And it was only after the opening credits when it said the Broken Divide that I realized there's a reason this all sounds familiar. (laughs) At least you only missed like five minutes of your time. It's fine. Yeah. But then I went back and yeah, straight up murder, which is a very big difference from how the Broken Divide starts. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And another thing that like is weird to me right off the bat is like we find out that they've been there for five weeks. I'm like, what? What are they doing? Like, what are they? I mean, I know what they're doing, but what are they supposed to be doing? Maybe they were supposed to come back sooner. But I mean, if they're supposed to come back sooner, then SGC would have sent a team to be like, come home, you know, get your asses back. Maybe it's a long-term recon. Like, maybe. Yeah. What's his name? The guy, the god guy. Hansen. Hansen. Maybe Hansen sent back, like, some kind of falsified report about what was going on. It had to be falsified because it doesn't seem like they have anything there. They just have a bunch of stone. No, they have nothing, but he wants to stay. So Yeah, he must have lied about what was there. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, the men of SG-1 are trash. Um, Yeah, let's talk about how Sam was engaged to this guy, Hanson, which never comes up again. So... It's well, clearly... he's dead, so <laughs> it's not important. Yeah, but I mean, she, never, she never talks about him again. So, I, I mean, it, it just felt like a pure like plot device for this particular episode and doesn't yeah. necessarily seem in character for her. I mean, like, it, it made sense to me in that, like, a woman who is both a like a doctor and in the military, like, if you're going to meet somebody, you're probably meeting them at work, made sense that that's where she met him. But first of all, he's crazy. <laughs> he's just very intense and then the way she talks about him too I'm like oh that is all kinds of red flags she's like he was really angry when she broke up with him mm-hmm. and now he's got a god complex and he wants to make her his goddess and I'm like listen with different lighting and a different tone of voice that's a compelling argument but <laughs> yes I'm thinking of romance novels again but like this was not romantic it's not romantic at all and then, like, Sam being like, oh, well, I don't know. He wasn't like that. I'm like, this is not you, Sam. Hmm. Well, but she also are. said that she wasn't surprised. Which, again, like, crazy. Sam, you are smarter than this. Right. <laughs> like, so, yeah, I guess yeah, he was kind of angry. Been. I'm like, mm, Sam. Just a little bit. So I guess he never got over her. But he's not even yeah. who I was referring to, though. Because at one point, under his orders, because he's got everybody kind of working overtime night and day and under his order some guy was about to get eaten 
Oh yeah. Sam wants to intervene and the guys are like, no, like we have to observe. It's the whole, let's just watch this rape thing again. And like, how many atrocities are you guys going to just sit back and watch before anybody decides to get up and do something? Yeah. Like, why is it always the woman who is like, y'all, this is, this is messed I, up. I get in 1997 that men didn't have feelings and that didn't kick <laughs> in until the 21st century, but it's true. Like, you're making yourselves look bad. Yeah, they really are. They seem really sensitive. I did really appreciate, though, how it seems like Teal'c has a lot of respect for her because when she decides to go off on her own to stop this man from being beaten, Daniel's like, You didn't try to stop her. And Teal'c is like, It wouldn't have mattered. <laughs> Teal'c knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, he knows there's no stopping her and that she's right. <laughs> yeah, like Teal'c knows she's correct. Teal'c's playing it safe because he's not, you know, of Earth. He's not human, mm-hmm. but, or not fully human. But the guys, like O'Neill and Daniel, there's no excuse. No, they should know better. Especially because Daniel is supposed to be like the empathetic one. <laughs> okay. Man's <laughs> well, got know- no idea he has a wife, but. Because he's like archaeologist slash anthropologist, so he's supposed to like be able to relate to people the best. Supposed to be being the operative work, because I don't believe it. Yeah, he um he has a little work to do. Just a touch. <laughs> I hope they get I hope they get better by the end. I can't keep getting on this show saying the men are trash every week. Oh no, they do get better. Okay, good. But yeah, and talking about Sam being engaged to that guy again. I was thinking that when he did get killed at the end, Mm -hmm. I feel like even though you know he's crazy, that would still be traumatic on some level, like for her, because, you know, she probably was with him for several years. And even though they broke up, like, that's still like somebody who was once really important to you. Do you think that maybe they've just kind of hit their max as far as trauma goes? (laughs) Because they've all been through so much since the show started for uh-huh. O'Neill and Daniel since the movie. Uh-huh. Like, it's just been so much. Did you just think they're maxed out now? Like, nothing faces them anymore? Yeah, maybe so. Or maybe they're just, like, some of the most, like, emotionally sound people in the world. Because, I mean, we go through the next 10 years of them going through all kinds of crazy stuff. And they're pretty well adjusted. <laughs> so, I mean... They're, yeah, they're pretty go with the flow. Yeah, they have really, really well-paid therapists, I hope. I really hope they do. <laughs> or they're just straight-up psychopaths. Don't yeah. Don't anything at all. <laughs> like, I don't know, let's say you watched your wife get abducted by aliens. <laughs> yeah. But I'd love, a, like, a psychological evaluation of these people. It'd be interesting. The, the psychologist would start crying. <laughs> yeah. Like... 10 minutes in i feel like you'd have to have more than one psychologist like a team of psychologists would all be crying yeah they they do actually have a psychologist briefly in the atlantis show but it's i mean it's not right away and i think it's like after because it's like initially a military operation and after some civilian people start to come in they're like you know maybe we should get a therapist to you know (laughs) Is this like in Bones where they get a therapist and then they break the therapist? Uh, She she doesn't last very long, that's for sure. Only like one or two episodes. Okay. So, 
But I mean, at least they bring it up as that, like, yes, these people do need therapy. therapy. (laughs) What a shame they're not getting any. (laughs) Hopefully they're all um, having some sessions in between missions. Here's hoping. Yeah. Um, But I do like the moment at the end when Jack tells Sam to not feel bad for not killing Hanson. Because that would have just, like, really messed her up mentally. And I was like, yeah. that's that's really nice. That's a really nice way to be like, you know, okay, yeah, we're in the military, but we're still human and we want to retain our humanity. So it's totally okay if you decide that you can't kill somebody. Especially somebody she's be so close to. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I liked that. Yeah, Jack is not often the emotional one, but he has some good insights from time to time. I mean, especially with something like this, like... Who would know better than him? Yeah. So let's talk about Hanson. Um, okay. And his God complex. <laughs> I think the most terrifying thing about it is I think up until that point where they're like, oh, he thinks he's a God. He thinks he's a God. Like he believes the, the hype. Mm-hmm. I think up until the point where they speak to him, I feel like everybody was under the impression that he's deliberately buying into the hype for his mm-hmm. own reasons. Mm-hmm. which I guess is still true. But then he has this line where I think it's Sam who says you're, you're posing as a God, but it might've been somebody else who says it. Yeah. It been, and then, and Daniel, then he's like, I hate that word. He's like, I'm not posing. It's a matter of definition. I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my God. So, he, so he's like in it. <laughs> he's in it because so it's not even that he's buying into the hype and thinks he's like an immortal deity. It, it's genuinely that, He's aware he's mortal. He's aware he's exerting his will on these people, but he feels they need it, mm-hmm. which was like scary on a whole other level. Because if, if it had been like they came here and he got some sort of God complex and genuinely believes he's an immortal being like, right, you can deal with that. Right. He's choosing to hurt people because he thinks it's good for them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also wondering if he was thinking that because he mentioned how their population was getting out of control since I guess since the gold left, they mm-hmm. weren't working, doing whatever the gold had them working, doing. And so they had more time to procreate and, you know, build families and yeah. things like that. And so they're running out of space in the mines. So I'm almost wondering if he thinks that killing a bunch of them is good for like having the, the space for their population. I don't know. It does raise an interesting, vaguely related thought, though. Just because they have to sustain this as a weekly adventure show, just the idea of the gold going to so many worlds and just setting up mm-hmm. little uh, people farms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, I'd say the most common setup is worlds that have um, Nakoda, the material that the Stargate is made out of. Yeah, because they use that to make more like weapons and technology. So I'd say the majority of the places are, are probably because they have Nako divines. I know. Um, I just think it's, it's funny but... to imagine like they're like these monsters. We have to stop them. Meanwhile, they're like flying through the galaxy, creating little colonies. <laughs> I did find it really interesting that Tilk said that the Gwul do terraforming. Yeah, I was like, well. Interesting. I feel like it's particularly interesting for something that hasn't come up yet <laughs> that we can talk about later. Okay. <laughs> um, in just a few episodes, yeah, there's a, a new theory that you'll learn about, which makes me 
know what Teal'c says about the terraforming. But we can revisit that. Okay. At a later date. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of just, like, adds to the mythology of the Gwold and, like, like, what are they doing on all these planets? And how many thousands of planets have they been to? And who's keeping track of all of this? <laughs> Not Daniel. <laughs> it's interesting, though. Like, it would be very easy to make them kind of, like, one-dimensional. And I guess, in a way, they kind of are, just because we don't know very much about them yet. But... Mm -hmm sort of seeing what they do because i think the premise of the stargate film as is was enough that it's like an alien race that mm -hmm. took one group of people and tried to mm -hmm. sustain ancient egypt elsewhere right it's enough for a movie but yeah. the idea that that they're doing this like all over the what universe i guess um well just this galaxy galaxy okay yeah i think they're doing it all over the galaxy still is just yeah yeah quite uh I don't know. I mean, they're they're definitely a really interesting race, and we learn quite a bit more about them, obviously, as the show goes on. But yeah, I mean, I, it does feel like ultimately they're just chasing power for the sake of power. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it seems that way, or it, that is what's happening. I mean, that's what it seems like. The ultimate, like what the gold are all about. It just seems like power chasing to me in general. I hope it gets a little more than that. That's not very interesting. Well, no, I mean, like, it is more interesting than that. Like, I mean, it's more complex than that. But I feel like, I mean, when you get down, like, you know, why does any one group decide to invade the galaxy? You know? Right. Power. <laughs> yeah. Or daddy issues. <laughs> or both. But, yeah. Well, I mean, I think some of it is, like, kind of fighting back against their origins a little bit, which we'll also get into at a later date. So, gold daddy issues. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, one one random funny thing that I noticed. I think this was true last time too, and I forgot to mention it. But they finally realized that it's impractical to constantly have the teams falling through the Stargate when they like walk in the Stargate <laughs> normally and then like, tumble out of it on the other side like they've been propelled. I'm like, that's not. <laughs> they shouldn't be being propelled like like little rocket people. The actors were probably <laughs> like, I am not falling yeah. down again. I will Yeah, they probably through. did so many takes of that and got so many bruises. They're like, no, please. And like in the first couple episodes, their faces were get all frosty and stuff. And they're like, oh, that's the effect of your molecules being reassembled. And they stopped doing that too. Probably the the makeup people were like, this is this is a lot. <laughs> It's a lot for no payoff. Yeah. So, yeah. Smart of them to stop that. Yeah. <laughs> well, so in this episode, did you find any problems with, like, racism? Um, the whole, like, native people dynamic? Because, I mean, it, it seemed like everybody who had lines was a person of color. But there were some white people who were also natives. I like a certain point, I just become so numb to this show and its savior complex. Yeah. That I just stop noticing it. <laughs> That's fair. But I did think uh, calling it the first commandment and having them all loosely dressed like they're in some sort of 1950s Bible epic. That's true. Was an interesting choice. <laughs> Both of the episodes or titles are biblical in nature. Oh, yeah. 
That's true. I actually had to look up who Lazarus was, but I will explain yeah. why I looked that up after. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I mean, it really does look like it's like a scene out of Exodus or something. Yeah. Like, especially, um, I think it's O'Neill. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but one of them's got like the whole, you know, like the, the hood with the headband holding it in place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's O'Neill, right? I think so. Yeah. I know this is a bad comparison. And you can tell I wasn't raised religious, but he looks like, you know, when you think of like Linus in the Christmas play in Charlie Brown, like his little shepherd hood. Oh, like, that's yeah. What like. <laughs> the extent of my. Uh... I love that you think of Linus. That's amazing. It was Linus first, <laughs> then Veggie Tales. Right. Which I introduced you to. Which you introduced me to. <laughs> You're welcome. And then after that, I'm like, right, I think Charlton Heston was probably running around like this at some point, but I couldn't pinpoint when. But right. you know, Linus first. <laughs> Love it. Speaking of headgear, one thing that I noticed was that um, so some of the, the locals were wearing these like giant kind of like bucket things over their heads made out of clay with eye holes in them. Yeah, that was freaky well you know i think it's probably they'd probably make those for protection when they're walking out in the sun like it mm-hmm. protects their head from the sun but they were also wearing them at night and i'm like but why at I that point you're just cool. getting in your way but then it's like but then also not everybody has them on yeah that too <laughs> it was very inconsistent it was like some people had them some people didn't they were wearing them both daytime and nighttime. Maybe and... it's a status thing rather than like a practical consideration, like a, like a, the way a guard would wear a specific helmet or something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I guess because we only ever really saw it on the people who would come out into the woods to attack. We didn't see anybody wearing those in the actual village or around the mining camps. So it might be a fighting thing then. Yeah. But, I mean, not everybody who was fighting was wearing one. Some of them were wearing, like, tribal paint on their faces and stuff. They haven't upgraded to a pumpkin head yet. <laughs> or maybe the, the ones who were painted were, like, the officers and the other ones were the infantry. I don't know. Yeah. Very it's never it's never addressed, so. <laughs> and it's not going to come back up. No, it's not. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. <laughs> They just wanted something wacky looking, I think, that would, like, seem scary. It worked. It was very jarring. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the opening sequence in general was, like, a lot of fast-paced action and, you know, shooting and very dark. Trying to figure out what's happening. It's very, like, good action opener. Yeah. So would you like to move on to Cold Lazarus? Let's move on to Cold Lazarus. So tell me why you were looking up Lazarus. So, okay, my DVD, I went into the First Commandment, pressed play, and it started playing The Broken Divide. Mm-hmm. So it's glitching. So what I did for this one was I went into scene selection and started it there. And that's where I saw O'Neill's son uh-huh. standing with him. And then here's a look into how my head works. So <clears throat> I saw the episode was called Cold Lazarus. And then I remember that Casper movie from the 90s with the machine that brings people back to life was also uh-huh. called Lazarus something. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, what? And then this can't be the only time. I feel like it's come up somewhere else, too. And I'm like, why is it constantly called Lazarus? I'm like, it must mean something. Mm-hmm. So then I had to look up 
who Lazarus was. And for those of you like me who didn't know, Lazarus <laughs> is a man who four days after he died was brought back to life by Jesus. So yeah. it makes Very sense that anything to do with resurrection would be called the Lazarus something or other. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I feel like watching the show is one of those things that I never really paid attention to the episode titles. But now doing this podcast, I'm like, some of these titles are interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting references. Some of them are not as great. I don't really like the Broca divide because it's giving that too much attention to the Paul Broca. But um, yeah, the Lazarus thing is, yeah, it's clever. That's cool. It's like a cool connection. Yeah. So yeah. So um, the episode opens with them on this planet where the ground is made of uh, medium grain cornmeal and there's glue. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> like, that it is looks not sand. It, it looks yellow. like the cornmeal I bought to make cornbread. That's what it looks <laughs> it like. It really does. It's very, very coarse. Like you can see the chunks, basically. And it's very yellow. <laughs> it looked like um, there's this toy that kids had. It's called like magic sand or something. Uh-huh. Or it's, it's like these little sticky balls that they can like mold stuff yeah. out of. And at one point you see O'Neill lying down. I'm like, did they buy magic sand with this? <laughs> But yeah, it's made of magic sand cornmeal, and there's these bright blue kyber crystals growing out of it. Yeah. And <laughs> truly, my notes say, would Daniel rather play with crystals or find his wife? The answer may surprise you. Because <laughs> like, okay, pursuing the gold through these tribes, trying to see who knows what, I'm with you. I get it. Like, mm -hmm. you should talk about Sheree more. But again, I get why you're there. There's no people here. There are only crystals. Like, Daniel, you can put the crystals down and move on. Well, I feel like that brings up an interesting debate on is he allowed to do other things just because his wife is missing? I just feel like if aliens had taken me and put a worm in my spine, I would like undoing that to be my husband's first priority. Right. You know? But there are a lot of a lot of things preventing him from doing so. I mean, he doesn't know where she is. So, I mean, he is going to different planets to look for her. But then when it's obvious they're not there, like, put down the Play-Doh. Right, but then they're, like, in the middle of a mission. So, I mean, it's not, like, I mean, he's not gonna just, you know, poke his head through the gate. Sure, you there? No? Okay, I'm going back home. On to the next one. <laughs> I realize it's unfair for me to want <laughs> Daniel Jackson to be in a constant state of panic. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm stressed out with how little he is stressed out. Mm. Like, I, like um, I understand he can't constantly be operating at a 10, but. Yeah, I think that's kind of the thing is like, he, he truly is doing the most that he can do at this point since he doesn't know where she is. And so he might as well have some fun missions i understand what you're saying i'm gonna keep yeah. roasting him though okay that's, no that's fine <laughs> i don't have a problem with you roasting him <laughs> just he also spends more time this episode talking about o'neill's ex-wife than he does talking about his own he's got all their details i'm like okay mm -hmm. for five dollars what color are sheree's eyes i bet you don't know <laughs> i almost wonder if it's like a coping mechanism like he initially goes through the gate each time hoping to find her and when it's immediately obvious that he's not then he just 
you know, really focuses on the mission and the other things that they're doing to like not be, not become so totally depressed, depressed and absorbed by, you know, the yeah. enormity of losing his wife to a parasitical alien who took over her mind and body, you know. Yeah. yeah as you do. do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, um, I think all around reiterating what I said earlier, like everybody needs some therapy. Very much. Including Jack in this one. So we, we get to learn about his family a little bit more. So his ex-wife, Sarah, still has their son's old room exactly how it was when he was alive. Mm-hmm. The copy, the crystal copy of O'Neill, like, gets really emotional about it. And I'm like, the real O'Neill needs to also get emotional about it. Like, I feel like he's put a wall up. Mm-hmm. And he really needs to talk it out. He does a little bit, but not. I don't think he does enough. Does that ever come back? Not. Maybe like brief mentions of it, but, but I don't not in like think a, so. like this was the episode. Yeah, this was it. This was yeah covering his trauma. I I feel like jumping ahead to the end um, when the carbon copy transforms from O'Neill into his son. I feel like even though he knows that's not that's not his son, like I think mm-hmm. it gives him the closure over Charlie's yeah. death that he needed. Yeah. What I didn't like Oh boy, me too. Was <laughs> the fact that this the the carbon copy of Charlie then goes with O'Neill to talk to Sarah. With no warning. With no warning. Sarah doesn't even know what the Stargate is. Yeah. So like O'Neill is prepared for all this. Like he, he is, he's been interacting with this being. He was on the crystal planet. Like Mm -hmm. he knows what the Stargate is. He's been to other worlds. He he has some mental capacity to understand this is like a symbolic closure. Yeah. As far as his ex-wife is concerned, he just showed up with their son. Yep. Who she knows to be dead. Yep. So I'm like this, I don't think this is the cozy moment you think it is because this poor woman now has to say goodbye all over again. It doesn't fully understand. Yeah. You're just re-traumatizing her. Like, she was processing things the best way that she could, trying to move on. And then you walk in with this boy who looks exactly like their dead son. And it's like... <sighs> then again, she, she does kind of take everything in maybe a little too much stride. Like, when the carbon copy that she thinks is the real um, Jack like has these energy surges Mm -hmm. in his being for all intents and purposes it looks like a human man has just started generating electricity from his torso yes and she's just kind of like jack you okay (laughs) like do you see this a lot sarah (laughs) so she takes everything in a lot of stride even (laughs) even with the fake charlie when he's like he can't stay, Sarah. I have to take him back. She's like, oh, to the Stargate. I'm like, do you know what the Stargate is? <laughs> did he tell you? I don't think so. That's what I, kind of what I was wondering, too. I'm like, did he actually explain that? I mean, because that would be, you know, that's top secret information. Like, he would get and he would get court-martialed for yeah, just like, telling somebody. <laughs> I got it in the beginning where he was like, oh, it's the... Like, when, when the carbon copy was going, it came from the Stargate. And she's like, the what? I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. It's a military operation. Of course, she doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. But then in the end, he's like, here's this doppelganger of our child who you're never going to see again. And I have to take him back to the Stargate, which you don't understand what that is. And I hope you're okay with that. 
and she seems fine with it. I'm wondering she, if she, she thinks like she thinks it's a clone, probably. I mean, that would be the most logical explanation. And then maybe the clone is defective. Way too calm. Yeah. Because if you I, maybe I just, wanna, she's just in shock. I don't want to speak for grieving parents, but if you had been given a clone of a child you lost and told like oh, it has to go because it's slightly defective, would you not have like kept the clone? Were you able it depends, to? It depends in what way it's defective. I know, but like, I feel like even then, that's not enough of a reason for her to just pick. Okay, bye, not Charlie. Really, this is on Jack for re-traumatizing Sarah. Yeah, I yeah I like, this is fully on Jack. Like, I'm just wondering how this woman is yeah. coping with this now. I thought that was really messed up. I think you, I feel like even the first time I watched it, I'm like, mm, uh, should maybe, maybe have warned her first because <laughs> that, that'd be really shocking. Yeah, I put in my notes too. I'm like, Sarah has no mental prep for this shit. No, like she's not ready. And like the copy of O'Neill mentioned that he O'Neill left her after Charlie's death because she, he thought that she was angry at him. And she's like, you know, oh, I didn't realize that's the only reason why you left. So it seems like she also still has feelings for him. Yeah. So like, I understand him getting the closure with Charlie because he has that yeah. additional context. Yeah. But I thought she had, like, the closure she needed when, the, like, her and the real Jack had their conversation. Yeah. You know, like, I thought that was what she needed. Yeah. Because she didn't really understand why her husband left. Right. But yeah, I mean, I just feel like this whole episode of, like, her having to see her ex-husband and a copy of her dead son was just, like... It's a lot. Totally. Yeah, totally unfair for her. That's a, I did really like the episode. I found it very engaging, but... Yeah. Yeah. Felt really bad for Sarah. Yeah. I also thought it was like just a bit weird how he kept photos and letters from her in his work locker. Because where is he living now? Well, he has a house. Whenever they're not on missions, like he goes home and sleeps in his own bed. He doesn't live at the SGC. Right. So I'm like, why do you just randomly have a box of really important photos and letters in the bottom of your locker. So that he can sit in his in the locker room and be broody about it. I guess, but it, I mean, I would think that there's often other people in the locker room, so it's not like he's going to have a lot of privacy in there. Maybe he takes it with him everywhere. Like, ho- mm-hmm. like home and work. Like, it's just always in his bag. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like in any other circumstance, he'd still be wearing the ring wedding ring that he keeps in the box Mm -hmm. because maybe he's not over it Mm. but in my mind the reason he's not wearing the ring is because ring emulsion is a thing and it scares me very very much ring emulsion yeah if you if the ring gets caught sometimes it'll pull your finger out with it what that's a thing look at jimmy fallon's (laughs) ring finger next time you get a chance it is he, he has messed his finger up because of that this Has he why... talked about that? Like in an interview or something? Yeah, like about how he tripped on on like a carpet in the kitchen and his ring snagged on it and it pulled his whole finger with it and he had to have surgery and it was a whole thing. Which is why if I think I'm going to be doing anything more physical than getting in and out of the car, I won't wear a ring. Wow, I didn't know that that could happen. It's, it's terrifying. So would, that, would it be better if you're wearing one of those silicone rings? Yes they snap 
Yeah, that's what I was thinking. If it catches, that's it's why just they, break. Um, sports stores will sell like wedding ring sets in silicone yeah. for like very outdoorsy couples. Yeah, yeah, I've seen those at like REI or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that's what I. That's why I told myself he's not wearing his ring. I don't think that's what okay. the showrunners were thinking, but <laughs> I think they well, just wanted it in in the box with. The yeah. Pictures, but I'm like, yeah, and the memo. Jack's smart. Yeah. He knows about ring emulsion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, since they're military, they're not allowed to wear any kind of personal adornment when they're working. Anyway, so. Oh well, there you go. Oh, is that why they get like tattoos? Probably on ring know. fingers. I, I don't really know very many people in the service, so I <laughs> I haven't really like talked to any to ask. Neither do I, but I read a lot. That's true. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, like they're not they they have their dog tags, but they're not allowed to wear anything else because I mean, exactly for those kinds of reasons, like it could get in the way, it could get caught on something. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if it's like dog it, tags serve a functional purpose, right? But even those they wear underneath their shirt because what if they're trying to hide and light reflects off of the their ring or they bang know? together yeah yeah anyway jewelry <laughs> silicone rings good idea i mean i always thought of silicone rings as a great idea for like when you're doing something outdoorsy because then you don't want to get your nice ring all gross and sweaty but i never mm-hmm. thought about the pulling it off and snapping thing as being like a safety feature yeah. plus they're great in humid environments because they will stretch a little with your finger Oh, not much, but a little bit. Oh, I'm I'm learning a lot today. (laughs) On a vaguely Jack related note, um, Jack's got a type. Right. Because Sarah Mm -hmm. and Sam look very similar. Yep. They uh, both have short blonde hair. Have similar, not identical facial features. Yeah. I feel like they're, I mean, Sarah. Same energy. Well, Sarah is kind of emotional in this one, but I do get the feeling that she's like a pretty strong-minded woman. Yeah, like she's she's grieving in this one, but there's a there's a tough personality in there, a lot like yeah, a lot like Sam, which makes me think that Jack just really has a thing for tough blonde ladies. Yeah, I've decided it's fine. That Jack but... likes Sam. Um, I don't know if this is supported <laughs> by canon yet. But I've decided. <laughs> well, I'm not going to spoil things for you. All aboard the SS Sam Jack. Oh, Jack yeah. Sam. I yeah. don't have a name for this. It's just Sam and Jack. I think it was just the the Jack Sam or Sam Jack ship. But there, there wasn't really sounds, an official what name What sounds better, it. Jack Sam or Sam Jack? I'm be saying it a lot. Jack Sam, Sam Jack. They both I feel like sound Jack bad. Sam is easier to say. Jack Sam, Sam Jack. They both sound bad. I don't like either. <laughs> they need a name. Jack Sam kind of sounds like a curse word. They, yeah, they both sound like 1930s swear words. <laughs> you can go like the Storm Pilot route and give them like a title ship. We could just make up our own ship name. For yeah, them. that's what I'm thinking. Like, hmm. Colonel Captain. <laughs> well, but they may not necessarily keep their rank the same rank for the. Oh, does Jack keep his rank throughout? He eventually gets promoted. Damn it. Well, like Sam has another title I could use. Right. Yeah, the doctor. Yeah. Hmm. We'll have to work. Oh, Carter. Oh, Carter. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Carter, my oh, Carter. Carter. No. Well, that's, that's what Jack's thinking to himself. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to think on this some more. Yeah. 
Baking Workshop, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, Stay tuned for whatever episode where we figure this out. Anyway. <laughs> um, another funny thing, I really loved how um, Sam and Daniel just decided that they were going to blow something up in the gate room without telling anybody. <laughs> you know, the... <laughs> They got it. I don't know. They're feeling a little chaotic this time around. <laughs> yeah. They're like, look, we want to do this stuff. Let's just go grab your staff weapon. We're not going to do it because we might get in trouble for using your staff weapon tilk. So we're going to rope you into this without really telling you what we're doing. Um, we're going to go blow this thing up in the gate room rather than in the secure lab where things could be cleaned up a bit easier. Rather than literally anywhere else. <laughs> There's got to be some kind of, like, empty room that they could do this in and all of the crystal shards would be contained and easily cleaned as opposed to the gate room where there's all kinds of, like, nooks and crannies and some poor person who accidentally comes back through the Stargate from a mission without his shoes on is going to, like, step on a crystal. <laughs> he cut his foot. <laughs> because Sam and Daniel couldn't find a better place to blow up this crystal. Especially because now we know the crystal's sentient. Like, if they vacuum it up, <laughs> they're vacuuming up a sentient being. Well, sort of. I mean, sentient. at that point, it would have lost all of its energy anyway because it was away from its home planet for too long and, like, cut up into too many pieces. But still. But, it, well, it's like a corpse. The principle of the, They're just vacuuming up someone's fingers. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, an eyeball. <laughs> People just coming back through the gate, squishing yeah. stuff. <laughs> Walking back through this, there's like body parts everywhere. <laughs> Nobody's concerned, but there's body parts all over the gate room. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, at least the crystals um, aren't squishy. <laughs> It'd be a lot grosser. <laughs> oh, dear. It's okay. This is a normal tangent. It's totally yeah, normal. It's fine. Oh, oh, one one gripe I do have is so the crystal copy dude when he starts like emitting electricity, he's also giving off radiation. Mm-hmm. And Sam comes in with like a Geiger counter and is like, "Oh man, these radiation levels are through the roof." They're only wearing something on their heads. They're not wearing a protection suit for their entire bodies. And I'm like, do you, how do I understand radiation better than you? Because you're not protected. They have to leave all of their belongings in the locker when they come in, including their intelligence. (laughs) That's the only explanation. Like, I don't know. Did what channel broadcast this? Did they not have the budget? It was originally on stars. So, I mean, stars not have the money. I don't know. I mean, it just didn't make any logical sense. I'm like, you're not like, you know, going into it that there's radiation. That is not proper gear. Like that's good COVID gear. I'll grant you. That's a really solid helmet to use for COVID. But (laughs) radiation is suddenly a respiratory infection. Yeah. (laughs) And then also like, Daniel not knowing that EM stood for electromagnetic. And I'm like, even I knew that. <laughs> How did he's you not, not know that? He's not very smart. 
he's like incredibly smart in his niche categories and then really dumb otherwise like can he can he like suss out ancient egyptian based mm-hmm. on nothing but couple words and some vibes yes uh-huh. does he remember he has a wife no does he know what the m stands for no so daniel's really good at certain things <laughs> and not good at anything else oh man i think it's one of those things where like you need to explain it for the audience in case they don't know but they could have just like had the other scientist lady say electromagnetic like full out and then oh. sam say em after that and then you would have gotten around that whole problem and not made daniel look stupid it's like in the first couple seasons of er when they are calling out medical procedures they're calling out full medical procedures by the latter seasons, they're shorthanding it because they're like, if you're yeah. still here after we crashed the helicopter through the emergency room, you've been here since the beginning and you're ride or die. We're not explaining this to you anymore. Yeah, that's totally fair. And then they shorthand it. But in the beginning, like they'll, they'll spell it out because they know yeah. they know the audience doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Don't make Daniel dumb just for explanation reasons. Daniel's the bimbo of the team. <laughs> Every team needs one. And this it's really not though. It's normally it's O'Neill who's the bimbo because he's, he's grieving. So Daniel took over bimbo duties for this Yeah, because yeah, it's normally like O'Neill is the leader who is also decent muscle, but like if it doesn't have to do with astronomy, then he doesn't generally know what's going on. He's the brawn and not the brains. Yeah, which is fine. I mean, he's a good leader, but yeah. Yeah, he's smarter than that oh i did feel bad for teal'c because he really just wants to go out and explore this planet because he's just been the only time he's he's left the base is to go to you know go off world to another planet for a mission for a few hours or maybe a few days and come back but he's living in a military bunker and Mm. he just really needs some sunlight yeah Somebody taking to like a museum or something, aren't they in DC? They're in Washington State. Washington State. Okay. Wrong yeah. Washington. Yeah. Washington State's beautiful. Somebody take him outside. Right? This is Chelsea from the future stepping in to say that the SGC is not in Washington State. It is located in Cheyenne Mountain, which is in Colorado. Whoops. Yeah, I just felt so bad for him because he just wants to go out and explore. And then he turns on the TV, which. I mean, he should not have under like picked up how to use a remote that quickly. Like, if you've never seen a remote before, you would not be able to just turn it on the first try and change the channels. Like, granted, 1997 was a bit easier than it is now. But, I mean, I think all of us have had the struggle where we're at a house that's not our own and we need to ask how the TV works. Yes. Because it's just, it's not intuitive. No. Um, and then, yeah, he sees stuff on the TV that's really disturbing. And... Later, when they're going to go find Sarah and the copy O'Neill slash Charlie, Teal tries to take his staff weapon with him. And they're like, oh, you can't bring that with you. And he's like, I'm going to need it. Based on these TV shows. <laughs> it's like a really violent show in like, the news. Yeah. Like, I understand. <laughs> he's like, absolutely not. Yeah, and I feel like in that moment, he, he's probably like, what have I gotten myself into? I'm living in a military bunker, and apparently it's worse outside here than it was where I was living before under the rule of a parasitical <laughs> alien. <Despot. laughs> 
<laughs> He's like, how did I somehow get into a worse situation than I was before where I was forced to murder people? <laughs> Poor baby. He does, he does eventually get to, like, go out and explore some, but I, I don't know. I feel like he never really gets to as much as he should. Somebody, like, needs to take him to a museum. I feel like he'd like it. Well, apparently he's reading up on different stuff because he, like, knew some stuff about Chicago, so he's, like, researching. I know, but, like, I don't know. He needs take to him, actually see it. Take him to, like, a hockey game. Yeah. He'd, he'd probably enjoy that. Yeah. Do they play hockey in Washington State? I guess so. I don't know. I don't know sports. I don't know. I don't know sports either. I, I mean, like if, it, hockey. if it gets cold there, then probably. Yeah, take him to a hockey game. Yeah, sure. Daniel's Canadian accent could jump out some more. Oh, the Hanson guy said orange weird. Do you remember in the in the last episode, he said like orange instead yeah, of orange. You don't remember that? No, but let me see where he's from now. Oh, he's the guy. Um, he played the father in Boy Meets World. Ah, okay. That guy. That guy. That guy looks familiar. Yeah. William Ruff? Yes. No, he's not. He's from not Virginia. Canadian. So why did he say it like Ange? Maybe he just talks weird. Yeah. And it was the only word that he said that was weird. I was like, do you he know like, how to say orange? He like tripped over his words and just didn't want to do another take. I guess. I'm like, you, you know there's an R in that word, right? I don't know, man. Well, you're going to have to go back in and watch it so you know what I'm talking about. I think so. <laughs> oh, I did like the kind of meta reference. I don't know if you noticed in Charlie's room, there was a poster of describing different types of crystals on the wall. I didn't notice, but I, liked <laughs> I was that. like that. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> that's a Charlie nice foreshadowing. <laughs> And yeah, this is like um, one of the episodes, not the first or the last, where it, like the Stargate will activate and everybody immediately knows that it's an off-world activation that's unscheduled and immediately go run to the gate. And I'm like, so does everybody on this entire base have the entire schedule memorized? Like there's a bunch of SG teams. How are y'all memorizing all this? They don't think of it. Well, that, that's why they're not making smart decisions because they've only got enough room in their brains for um, Stargate schedule. Uh, yeah. Or like the seniors have the schedule fairly memorized and they start screaming and then everybody just follows suit. I don't, I feel like there's quite a few episodes where SG-1 will be like in the cafeteria or something and the Stargate, like, because there's, like, the alarm that goes off when the Stargate is active, no matter why it's active. And they're like, oh, there shouldn't be anybody coming in today. I'm like, how do you know? You're just, like, chilling on your day off. How do you know? <laughs> they're very uh, emotionally invested. I guess so. I mean, it would make sense if there was only, like, three teams, and then you know, like, exactly what the other teams are up to. But at this point, they have at least nine. Yeah. So, and I feel like they probably get up to more like the two dozen mark at some point. So that's just a lot to memorize. Yeah, it's true. One thing, I think this is kind of jumping ahead to like the post episode discussion point about the Bechdel test. Yes. This is my question. Okay. So at the end of this episode, they talk to the crystal, which takes on like Sam's face. 
Mm-hmm. Does this count as the Bechdel test? No, I don't think so because we don't know the gender of the crystal or if the crystal has a gender. That's it's true. just taking on her face, but that doesn't mean that's the Okay, that's what I thought. Identity. In which case, does not pass the Bechdel test. Well, neither one of them do. There's not neither even one another woman. There's no other women in the first episode. No, there's like some extras. Yeah, but like, there's no naming <laughs> there's, women. There's not even another woman who speaks. Arguably, there's only one woman in Lazarus too, because Sam and Sarah are the same person. <laughs> not really, that's not fair, but like... <laughs> No, I see what you mean. Yeah, but I mean, I don't think they have a. I don't think the two of them have a conversation at any point, and like they're the only women who have lines. They don't talk. No, so that's why the Bechdel test was hinging on the crystal. Oh, hmm. yeah, and I don't know if their conversation would qualify or not anyway. Well, because the conversation was about the crystal. It was about her. I'm just gonna say her. Um, yeah, but then she talked about how the gold came and destroyed them. And that would have been men. I know, but like at one point in the conversation, she does talk about like how how the yeah. how her species comes to be. Yeah. So had true. had she had a separate name, it would have passed the Bechdel test. But yeah, but I mean, I kind of doubt that the crystals have genders, so I'm not sure no, what I that counts. So. Yeah. Oh well. Um, but I mean, I feel like. I mean, there, I, there definitely didn't seem like any kind of racism stuff in Cold Lazarus. So yeah. that's good. <laughs> There's that at least. Yeah. And well, I thought like the... the first commandment was okay. I mean, it was a little like white savory. That's a, it's like one of those but... white savior things where, where, where the people being saved are not explicitly POC. Yeah. That came out wrong. It's not like, like they're ob- obviously POC, but like in emancipation they were very clearly supposed to be a very specific group of people from a point yes. in human history and it's the same yeah. thing in, like the stargate movie and the mm-hmm. first episode whereas this is just like random people random people mm-hmm. and there and were some like, white people too so there were like it's like operating on the old hollywood assumption that people in biblical times were all white so right like that kind of casting so mm-hmm. it felt less i don't know less racist yeah logic from which it stems is probably more racist but it was un- if it was it's like unintentionally yeah yeah well i mean none of it is intentionally racist but some of yeah like nobody's <laughs> setting out to be racist but like the system of thought that needed examining here it goes so much further back and so much deeper than like the yeah. system of thought that needed analyzing in episode one and episode three right yeah for sure yeah so do you think because these have definitely been less problematic in general that they hold up better for a modern audience. Yeah. These hold up way better, especially um, cold Lazarus. Yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't deal with any like controversial issues necessarily. I think the, the issues with um, first commandment were more like gender based with first of all, Sam being the only woman speaking mm-hmm. and second of all, her uh, kind of, excusing her ex-boyfriend while also not doing a ton uh i don't know i think she did as much as she could do i mean she deliberately went to confront him yeah i know but she kind of like got damsel in distress a little bit yeah i well i got really frustrated with her because like she had a gun and was threatening to shoot him and he was like oh you can't shoot me 
And I was like, girl, shoot him in the leg. Like, you don't have to kill him. Yeah. Just shoot him in the leg. And then you can take him back to Stargate and fix his leg and court martial him and send him home. See, that's going to be like, she, she got a little damsel in distressed. Yeah. Yeah. That like, is kind of disappointing. Like, I expect more from her character than that. that that's said, I think these hold up a lot better. These two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I mean, I, I can see how finding out that your ex-fiance thinks that he's a god on another planet can be disorienting. Sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I really, I think a Sam in even just, like, the next season would have just been like, let me just shoot your leg. Ah, she's got to grow. Yeah. She'll get there. One day. <laughs> So do you have any final thoughts that we haven't discussed already? No, I think I, I think I said my piece. Yeah, I think I got everything on my list too. Okay, so next week we're going to be watching episodes 7 and 8, The Knox and Brief Candle. And you're welcome to watch along with us. I am particularly excited about The Knox. It's going to be really fun. And there's even going to be a language thing that we can talk about. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, so it's time for your next quote. Mm -hmm. You ready? Yeah. Okay. I thought heaven would be a little more upscale. Okay. I think it's Sam speaking. And I think context-wise, she's speaking to the team. They have arrived on some planet or other. And Daniel's explaining that this is like... Daniel's explaining something anthropological to do with their <laughs> surroundings and heaven. Uh -huh. But the surroundings are a little less than impressive. So Sam goes, well, I thought heaven would be a little more upscale. <laughs> you know, that is a good guess. Like, I mean, in terms of, I feel like you're getting to know the characters enough to the point where you kind of see. <laughs> I like initially thought it might be O'Neill talking, but I'm like, no, this seems more like a Sam thing. <laughs> so. I don't know. I could I could hear that in Jack's voice too. Like, oh, I, I, I could too. But I, I also thought, and maybe I'm just giving you ammo for down the line. But I also <laughs> thought you wouldn't do two Jack quotes back to back. <laughs> well, I promise I did not think of that. Um, but I also honestly don't remember who says this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> but this is what I think happens. I yeah. I I prepped this several weeks ago. I don't remember who says it yet. I'll have to <laughs> But I do feel like you're getting to know the characters. Like, because that was, that's a good guess. That's solid. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So that's it for today. If you want to talk to us about Stargate, you can find us on our podcast Twitter page at Wormhole Waffles. You can find me on Twitter at Chelsea Fairless. Arzu, where can they find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Arzu Amin. Uh, best place to find me. It's mostly Star Wars on there and romance and then occasionally i'll yell about a medical show but once this starts i'll also be yelling about stargate so Woo. and then geeky waffle wise you can find us on twitter at geeky underscore waffle we are the geeky waffle on facebook instagram tiktok and youtube we are at the geeky waffle.com that's where we have all of our shows all of our reviews all of that awesome stuff i'm a writer there chelsea's a writer there you should definitely check it out and uh, also patreon patreon.com slash the geeky waffle and that's where we post things like our waffles after dark all right Thanks for joining us today and we'll see you on the other side of the event horizon.